0: You are listening to Rabbi Arya Woolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the weekly Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Beha Alozcha. It is the third Parsha in the book of Numbers, in the book of Bamidbar, and the 36th portion since the beginning of the Torah. There are 136 verses, 1,840 words, 7,055 letters. There are only five mitzvahs in this week's parsha, three performative and two prohibitions. There is a lot packed into this week's parsha, so buckle up because it's going to be exciting. The parsha begins with the instruction of the menorah. Hashem instructs Moshe to teach Aaron how to kindle the seven lights of the menorah. The menorah was to be crafted of one solid piece of gold, seven branches, and in exact accordance with the fiery image that Hashem had shown Moshe. The sanctification of the Levites, where Hashem instructs Moshe to purify the Levites and inaugurate them for Mishkan service. The firstborn are replaced by Levites in the temple service. They disqualified themselves by participating in the golden calf, and therefore all firstborn. And livestock must be redeemed before Hashem. The Levite training camp. Hashem instructs Moshe that every man aged 25 from the tribe of Levi should begin a five year training and apprenticeship to learn how to properly assist the Kohanim, the priests, in their service. From ages 30 to 50, they would serve in the Mishkan, and after age 50, They should engage in less strenuous work. The Pesach offering. A year after the Exodus, the Jewish people are commanded to celebrate Passover by bringing an offering in the Mishkan, the Paschal sacrifice, the Karbon Pesach. Those ineligible for the Karbon Pesach due to impurity asked Moshe for a second chance to fulfill this special mitzvah. Hashem tells Moshe that exactly 30 days later will be Pesach Sheni, the second Passover. and We did a special episode of this on the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. We did a short and sweet segment on Pesach Sheni, on the second Passover, when everybody who was unable to bring the Paschal sacrifice has another opportunity to do so. And then we talk about the traveling. The Jewish people have been encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai since the middle of the book of Exodus, over 50 chapters ago. They are about to begin traveling through the desert towards the promised land. The miraculous clouds of glory hovered over the Mishkan to represent Hashem's presence, and when the clouds lifted up, they began traveling until it came down again upon the Mishkan, and they stopped and camped there. Then we're instructed about the trumpets. Hashem instructs Moshe to make two silver trumpets. The trumpets would summon the leaders of the tribes and the entire nation for announcements. Different sounds are blown for different occasions. They're also used as signals to herald the traveling of the encampment and the movement of troops during war and for festivals. The order of the travel is described, the exact order and pattern of travel of each of the tribes and how they traveled. And then Yisro, Moshe's father-in-law, is invited by Moshe to join the Jewish people on their journey to the Promised Land. But Yisro returns to his homeland, Midian. At this point, the Jews are only 11 days' journey away from the land of Israel. And the travel begins. The two verses of Vayihib bin. Aron When the ark went forth, mark the beginning of travel, but things also begin to unravel. The complainers, nightly, miraculous manna descended, and every morning the people gathered and ate their respective portions of manna. The Erev Rav, the mixed multitudes of Egyptians who joined the Jewish people, instigated people into complaining about the manna. They wanted real food, like they had in Egypt. Hashem was angered, and so was Moshe. Moshe says, I can't handle this myself. So Moshe protests that he is unable to govern the nation alone. Hashem tells Moshe to appoint 70 elders, wise scholars, people of wisdom, people who have life experience, and the first Sanhedrin is formed. They will receive some of Moshe's spirit and help govern and teach the nation. The 70 elders are divinely confirmed. Hashem responds, the next day Hashem sends an incessant supply of quail, and the complainers were punished. And then there are new prophets. After the Sanhedrin are confirmed by Hashem, two remain behind in the tent of meeting, Eldad and Medad. They prophesied about the future transition of leadership from Moshe to Joshua, to Yehoshua. Some protest this prophecy, including Yehoshua himself, but Moshe is very pleased that others have become prophets. And the Parsha ends with the following story of Moshe being spoken about by Miriam and Aaron, who speak negatively about Moshe's decision to separate from his wife, Zipporah. Miriam is punished with Tzaraas, and Hashem confirms that Moshe is his preeminent servant and prophet. The Jewish people wait seven days for Miriam to be healed and for her quarantine to end before continuing to travel. So this concludes the brief Parsha review. But now there's a lot to dissect here. We'll spend a few minutes on some important lessons from this week's Parsha. First is the Parsha begins with the menorah and the task that Aaron is going to be assigned with. But this comes on the heels of last week's Torah portion. If we remember, the Levites were given their tasks, and the Kohanim were given their tasks. But Aaron, who's the high priest, didn't get a task. And he's like, one second, everybody's got a role. What's my job? What is my task? And Aaron really, really wanted to do the right thing for Hashem. Not because he felt left out, because he wanted to be able to display his love, his affection with Hashem. So Hashem gave him the greatest gift of all. He gave him the greatest task of all of the Kohanim. And that is a daily, eternal job of lighting the menorah. The lighting of the menorah was the greatest task because every day the menorah needed to be reset. And what that means by being reset is that the entire menorah was a new menorah every single day. The oils, the wicks, everything needed to be replaced. It was a new menorah. It was a new service every single day. This was something special that, by the way, Our sages tell us that that menorah is continued in the Hanukkah menorah that we light every year. So we see that the rest of the tasks of the temple don't, don't operate in our generation. But the menorah is still lit in our generation. Whose menorah? Aaron's menorah. His menorah is not one that's going to be extinguished with the defilement of the temple. It's not going to be extinguished with the destruction of the temple. Aaron's fire will be burning forever. And that's the special gift of purity, of desire to serve Hashem. When someone has a genuine desire to serve Hashem with all their heart, Hashem feels that. Hashem responds to that and gives us the opportunity to do great things. It's not about how big your name is going to be. It's about how pure your intention is. Aaron's intention to serve Hashem with so much love was answered. And he was given the greatest task of them all. Then we see that the Jewish people complain. You see, there's a very big problem that we all face every single day of our lives. And that is habit. You see, the minute our habit breaks, we get flustered. We get worried. But the truth is, the greatest gift is when we have a break in our habits. Because what does that do to us when we break the habits? It gives us the opportunity to appreciate what we have. You see, if we are able to walk every day of our lives without an injury in our legs, if we're able to talk every day of our lives without having a sore throat, if we're able to hear things every day without having tinnitus or something bothering us in our, in our hearing, then it's very, very difficult to stop and appreciate the gifts that are bestowed upon us. When we have interruptions, it's a moment of, in time for us to stop and appreciate how good we have it. And here we see a great lesson of that, is that the Jewish people are just a short amount of time since they were in Egypt as slaves, and they already forgot the incredible miracles that they're experiencing every single day. You're getting manna showing up at your doorstep. Imagine you never, ever need to go shopping again. Imagine you never ever need to buy food again because there's fresh manna every single morning that shows up at your doorstep. And if you were really righteous, it wasn't at your doorstep, it was on your kitchen table. If you were less righteous, you had to go to the end of the neighborhood to pick it up. And if you're even less righteous, you'd have to go outside of the city to pick it up. You're living in such a real spiritual existence. And you're complaining? How is that possible? We think to ourselves, if we had this incredible privilege, if we had this incredible ability to feel that closeness with Hashem, we would never complain. We would never complain. We see in this week's Torah portion that it's possible that we would. If we don't refresh ourselves constantly by realizing the gift of our eyesight, that's why we have these blessings every morning. Pokeh <speaking> Mashem <in Hebrew> HaShem opens our eyes so that we can see. Why do we say that blessing every morning? So that we don't take one gift for granted. We don't take one gift for granted. You know, there's a special halacha which teaches us that when we wash our hands, we should lift up our hands to the height of our eyes while they're wet, while we're reciting the bracha. We're reciting the blessing, Al Nitilat Yadayim, We should, our wet hands, we should hold them up opposite our eyes. Why? So that we should constantly remember that anything that we accomplish with our hands is only because of the gift Hashem gives us. Our hands, we can't do anything with our hands. You think that your livelihood, your success in business is because you're so smart, because your hands are able to sign that document so well? It's a reminder. Hashem is who gives us everything we have. To constantly reinvigorate that appreciation that everything is from Hashem. Here, in our portion, we see how people took it for granted. They didn't realize the gifts that were given to, us, to them. And therefore they complained. And Moshe wasn't happy about these complainers. They didn't realize the gifts Hashem has given them. This is something that we need to constantly inspire ourselves. Because habit is very powerful. It also has the ability to disconnect us from the Almighty. And we have to constantly appreciate again and again the gifts that Hashem has bestowed upon us. Then we have something very incredible. We have the inverted nuns in this week's Parsha. There are two verses that at the beginning of the verse, there is an upside-down nun. And at the end of those two verses, there is another upside-down nun, an inverted nun. Our sages tell us, In Tractate Shabbat 116a, that really there are not five books of Moses, there are seven books of Moses. So we have Genesis, Horatius, we have Shmos, which is Exodus, we have Vayikra, which is Leviticus, and then we have the book of Numbers, and the book of Numbers goes up until that inverted Nun, in this week's Parsha. And then those two verses are their own book, which is the fifth book of the Torah. And then from the second inverted nun till the end of Numbers is book number six. And then the book of Deuteronomy of Devorim is book number seven. So if someone asks you, how many books are in the Torah? We always say five books of Moses. But the truth is, it should be the seven books of Moses. But what's going on over here? The Talmud explains that if you look at the coming stories, the one that begins right after the second inverted nun, you have the complainers. Next week, we're going to have the spies. The following week, we're going to have Korach. We have all of the troublemakers, all of the problems. And the Torah wants us to separate the Jewish people receiving the Torah And doing all of their incredible service in the temple from the troublemakers. And therefore, these nuns separate the good parts of the Jewish people with the not such good parts of the Jewish people. And it's important for us to learn a lesson from this for ourselves, something we've mentioned previously. Our influences have an impact. Don't think that by watching certain things, we aren't influenced. You watch violence, you'll be influenced with violence. You watch immorality, you'll be influenced with immorality. You watch immodesty, you'll be influenced with immodesty. We're influenced by our environment. And it is critical for us, and we see here the Torah goes out of its way to separate the good deeds of the Jewish people from the not-such-good deeds of the Jewish people. There should be a distinction. There should be a clear demarcation of separation between the two. And that's an important lesson for us to realize. Not only that we should understand that there's a sixth and seventh book of the Torah, so to speak, but more so that there's a separation between good and not-so-good. And then we see how Hashem defends Moshe. Hashem defends Moshe and says there has never been a prophet like Moshe and there never will be a prophet like Moshe. And the Rambam, when he enumerates the 13 principles of faith, this is one of the important ones, is that there never was and never will be a prophet like Moshe. Who tells us that? Hashem, creator of heaven and earth, Is the one who says that in this week's Torah portion. Where Hashem says to Miriam and Aaron, you're making fun of Moshe? Do you know who Moshe is? Moshe is the only prophet who speaks to me mouth to mouth. While everyone else sees it in a vision, Moshe speaks to me directly. A much higher level. We need to understand that the revelation of a prophecy is such an incredible thing. It's an unbelievable tale. We also have the story of Eldad and Medad who stay in the tent of meeting and they have a revelation. What's that revelation? What's the purpose of that revelation? And why is Moshe happy about it? Moshe is happy about it because that's what a true leader is. You see many people like, oh, you're trying to dethrone me? You're trying to kick me out of my seat, of my leadership role? That's not a true leader. A true leader wants to make sure that his successor is lined up and the opportunity for success is available for him. Moshe hears this. He's elated because he's happy that a successor is getting in line. Joshua himself says, I can't fill Moshe's, Moshe's shoes. That's also a sign of leadership to understand the greatest of your predecessor. We see here real people, real people who understand that it's not about me. It's about the Jewish people that I'm responsible for. That's what Moshe understands. Moshe understands that it's far greater than just himself, which is why now the verse continues and says that Moshe was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. So that, you know, you think about this. Moshe is sitting there writing the Torah. He's transcribing every word that Hashem says to him. He's writing down. Don't you think Moshe would have taken a pause? And Moshe is the most humble of all men. Boy, that's pretty humble, isn't that? So how how can Moshe write such a thing about himself? In the Torah that he's writing, transcribing, Word for word from Hashem. It seems that that is counter the values of humility. So listen carefully to what our sages teach us. It's so beautiful. What is humility? Humility means that one understands their place. One understands their relationship with Hashem. Who understands the sun more? Someone sitting here on planet Earth and suntanning or someone who starts traveling towards the sun and is about to disintegrate because of the heat of the sun. Someone who's traveling towards the sun. Because they realize, oh my goodness, I thought the sun is just like, you know, just a little thing up there in, this, in the heavens. And the closer I get, I realize I'm going to be burnt to a crisp really fast. When someone is distant from God, they feel, look at me, I'm so mighty, I'm so strong. Look at me, I'm so so powerful. The closer you get to God, the more you realize how infinitesimally smaller we are than we can possibly imagine. To the Almighty? So that it means the closer you are with the Almighty, the more humble you're going to be. We just said that Moshe spoke to God in a way that no other prophet ever did or ever will speak to Hashem. Who was the person, the single person who had the clearest image of what the Almighty is? No one other than Moshe. Therefore, Moshe has to be the most humble. Humility doesn't mean that you keep knocking yourself and saying, oh, I'm a nothing, I'm a nothing, I'm a nobody. No, I really didn't do anything good in my life. That's not what humility is. Humility means that you recognize your relationship with God and you realize that everything you have is from Hashem. Moshe was not a big shot. Moshe realized his responsibility as a servant of Hashem. In fact, we'll see this in another 14 or 15 portions, that the eulogy for Moshe is only two words. The entire eulogy, Eved Hashem, servant of God. That's it you think you'd have pages and pages talking about Moshe's great, you know, his great speeches. He's a great orator. He wasn't. He was a great leader. No, he wasn't either. He needs help from the Sanhedrin. He complains in this week's parsha. He says, Hashem, I can't handle these people, these complainers. Hashem says, fine, here's the 70 Sanhedrin members for you. And we see that Moshe has many challenges in his leadership with Korach and with the spies. You'd think you'd be able to give them a pep talk and say, guys, you have responsibilities here. Moshe realizes his place. The greatest man to ever live. Evet Hashem, servant of Hashem. That's the whole eulogy. Some people say less is more. But the truth is. The Talmud tells us that what is a servant? What is a true servant? A true servant, everything they have is for their master. If your servant goes out into the into the street and finds a beautiful new Rolex, they pick it up. Do you know who it belongs to? It belongs to the master. The Talmud says, Mashekona Evid Kana Rabbo. What the servant acquires belongs to its master. Moshe was a servant. Everything he did was for his master. Now, talking about the critique that Moshe had from his brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, talk about Moshe that he decided arbitrarily seemingly, arbitrarily to no longer be with his wife, Tzipora. our sages tell us that Hashem approved of that. And we see that when Moshe, after the Jewish people had the revelation at Mount Sinai, Moshe tells the people, go back to your tents with your wives, meaning cohabitate, be together. Hashem says to Moshe, you come stand here with me. Our sages tell us that Hashem is approving of what Moshe was doing. Why? Because how can someone, a human, who talks mouth to mouth with the Almighty be together with his wife? It's a whole different level. It's not like the rest of the people, they heard the revelation at Mount Sinai, they heard Hashem speaking to them, but it wasn't the same type of revelation that Moshe had. And therefore, our sages tell us, Moshe was approved by the Almighty when the Almighty says, come, you stand with me. Hashem agreed with what he did. So, Miriam and Aaron didn't understand that. They didn't see that. You'd be like everyone else. But Moshe wasn't like everyone else, which is why Hashem specifically points out Moshe is not like anyone else. Moshe went rung by rung in his relationship with Hashem all the way till the top rung where no one will ever achieve that again. Miriam and Aaron didn't understand that. But then we see that Miriam is punished. You can look in the commentaries to see why Aaron wasn't punished. Miriam was punished and we see that the entire nation, the entire jewish we're talking about over 3 million people waited seven days for Miriam's tzaras to pass, for the disease to pass. She needed a time of cleansing, seven days. And the Jewish people waited for her. You know what it means to have three million people wait for you? You must be someone really valuable, someone really special for the entire Jewish people to wait for you. Our sages tell us that this is The classical Jewish trait of Hakara Satov, of recognizing the good. You see, the Jewish people had water through the desert in the merit of Miriam. And now we're just going to leave her behind? Now we're just going to leave her behind because now we already have the water. So we don't need her because she made a mistake. She's going to pay her price for it. We're just going to continue to travel. Catch up when you can. No. That's not the way we act. When you benefit from someone, when you benefit from something, you have to show an extra level of appreciation towards them. Even, by the way, our sages tell us inanimate objects. You have clothes. When you're done with those clothes, they're worn out. You just throw them out. My mother once went to pay a shivakal for a very, very special rabbi who passed away. And the rabbi's Rebetzin told my mother the following, that when he used to, you know, he'd wear his clothes, but when he would get rid of them, he would nicely press them and put them on his bed, and he he would put his hands over the clothes, and he would say, thank you for dressing me. Thank you for making me look good. Thank you for keeping me warm. Then he'd move it towards the end of the bed. The next day he'd do the same thing again. And he would thank his clothes clothes, till it went off the bed. Then he'd fold it up, put it into a bag, and throw it into the garbage. What? It's a pair of pants. What was it brought to this world for? But you know what? I benefited from this. I enjoyed this. Imagine if we had such appreciation for our clothes if we had such appreciation for our possessions, do you think that we would take for granted another human being ever again? I don't think so. You see, what we learn in the Torah is to have sensitivity to things and even more so to human beings. You know, there's the famous idea in halacha that when one says recites the Kiddush Friday night, we cover the challah. So the challah, not be ashamed that we're starting with the Kiddush first, with the wine first. I don't know about you, but the last time I asked my challah, he wasn't upset about that. So what's going on over here? This is This like a charade. This is a game. We're playing with the challah. We're going to cover the challah. The idea here is that we're showing sensitivity, even to a challah. You see, you usually start your meal with bread. On Shabbos, we start the meal with the wine. So we show a special special sensitivity to the ordinary beginning of our meal, the bread. We cover the bread. Can you imagine the type of sensitivity we should gain towards other human beings? if we have sensitivity to the challah, to the bread, not to embarrass it, not to hurt, quote, its feelings, even more so, not to hurt another person, not to hurt another human being, to be so careful. You know, the Torah tells us we're going to learn this in the beginning of Deuteronomy, in the beginning of the book of Devarim. It says, that you should support your poor according to their lackings. Rashi explains if his, the poor person, if the poor person's status used to be to have a Rolls Royce, that's what he needs. That's his charity. If he used to have servants running in front of his horses, that's his charity. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to go buy someone a Rolls-Royce. I can't afford a Rolls-Royce. I'm going to buy someone else a Rolls-Royce. But at least understand where they're coming from. Have a sensitivity to what it is that they're lacking. The guy used to be a CEO of a big company, went bankrupt, and now he's, he's getting a ride with Metro. Can you imagine how humbling, how belittling that is? Someone who used to have servants, chauffeurs, cars waiting, he would go pri- fly private, and now he's going with Metro. And we're not saying that someone shouldn't be humble. I have a friend of mine who passed away not long ago. He was 89 years old. He was an extremely wealthy man. And he probably had enough money to buy any of the airlines, to buy the airlines, but he always flew coach. And he told me, he said, I learned it from my mentor. He says, my mentor, who was much more successful than him when he was young, was once flying on a plane. He says, I was sitting in my seat in coach, and I see this guy. He owns all these properties. He's such a successful. He was a young man. He sees the guy walks on the coach. He says, you flying coach? He says, all I need is to get from one place to another. All I need is to get, right? We can use our money for other good things. And he took that as a lesson for himself in his entire life. Never flew first class, never flew business class, never flew uh, exclusive special person class. He went with the cattle cart in the back. Understanding, having sensitivity. Imagine this guy is a CEO of a company. Lost everything and now has to go on the metro, on the bus. It's humbling. At least understand, at least feel their pain, the humility that it is for them. Shem should bless us all. We should learn these lessons from the Torah, not to think that only the sensitivity to the challah is important. Sensitivity to other people is important. You know, the Chavetz Chaim was once a guest in someone's house. And they came home from shul Friday night. And the challah was uncovered. They didn't start the kiddush yet. So the husband calls to the wife. He says, where's the, where's the cover for the challah? So the Chavetz Chaim pulls the man aside. He says, why do we cover the challah? He says, oh, everybody knows, so not to embarrass the challah. He says, oh, but to embarrass your wife, you can do? We have to take practical application to these things and to internalize these messages. We have hours and hours and hours and hours more to talk about this week's Torah portion, like we do every week. I encourage you all, my dear friends, look through the portion, Baha'loscha. It is so special. Every word is a precious gem. Go enjoy it. Have a great Shabbos. Question, go ahead. It's going to be now 40 years till they get into the land of Israel. Again, you have to understand, it's classic Jewish stuff, you know, hey, how you doing? Let's have some coffee, you know, let's schmooze, you have some rugalach. you know, and they get carried away for 40 years. But the truth is, it wasn't that they got carried away. Is because we'll see in next week's Torah portion, the spies come, they come back and they cry. Hashem says, forget it, you guys are not going in. And it's within the next, those 40 years that all of that generation dies, the next generation is able to go into the land of Israel. But but in reality, it would have only taken them 11 days to get to Israel and that's it, that's it. Yeah, that means the amount of travel time it would have taken them was 11 days. But it took 40 years. Yes says well not not only at Mount Sinai I'm talking about in general his his prophecy if you look at the end of the Parsha eh, if you look at the end and Miriam spoke with Aaron against Moses regarding the Kushite woman whom he had married for the Kushite woman he had married One second. second they said was it only just with Moses that Hashem spoke? Is it not so that also with us he spoke? And Hashem heard. Verse number three. Now the man Moses was humble exceedingly more than any person who is on the face of the earth. Verse number four. By Hashem said suddenly to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, go out the three of you. El Olamoed to the tent of meeting. And they went out, the three of them. Hashem <laughs> Hashem descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent. And he called to Aaron and Miriam. They went out, the two of them. Okay, guys, come out now. <laughs> he said, hear now my words. If there shall be prophets for you, I, Hashem, in a vision to him, I shall make myself known in a dream. I shall speak with him. Okay, so Hashem is saying, this is how I communicate with prophets. Lo chenav di Moshe, not so is my servant Moshe. In the entirety of my house, trusted is he. Verse 8, mouth to mouth do I speak with him in a clear vision and not in riddles and the image of Hashem he gazes at. So why do you not fear to speak against my servant, against Moshe? Is this unbelievable? Hashem is telling us here, you better watch out. Do you know who you're talking about? You're talking about the only human being ever to speak with me in such a way. That's Moshe. Then, flared up, did the wrath of Hashem against them, and he left quite a statement from the Almighty, right? And those are verses, chapter 12 in the book of Numbers, verse 1 through verse 9. Oh, so one more question. No, no, so no, no, the menorah that we light is every year on Hanukkah. That's the Chanukiah, exactly. And the mitzvah of lighting that menorah is a continuation, so to speak, our just tell us of the lighting of the menorah that was in the temple. Now, it's very interesting. This is something I left out. I don't know why I didn't have enough space here on the bottom of the sheet to add this. So I'll add it after the edit. The menorah is something which is so special where Hashem says, "Miksha achas, make it, make it out of one piece of solid gold. How should you make it? And it says, the Torah says exactly, kafto v'ferach, kafto v'ferach, you should make it a flower and a button, a flower and a button, alternating... Very detailed design. Moshe tries, he says, I can't do it. I can't, I tried. Hashem says, you know what? Take it and throw it into the fire and Hashem himself crafts it. So our sages teach us something very special from this. Is that any time you want to accomplish something, the truth is you can't accomplish. We're well, just like Moshe, we try and we try and we try, we can't. But all you need to do then is say, Hashem, I tried. I can't. Only you can, and then Hashem gets it done for us. And this is the story of our lives. You think you can create that product? No, you need Hashem's help to create that product. You think you can sell that product? No, you need Hashem's help to sell that product. You think you can market that product? No, you need Hashem's help to market that product. You give it a shot. You give it a shot. You try like Moshe tried, and then you know what? Daven to Hashem. Hashem, I can't. Hashem says, achas, one piece, throw it into the fire. I got it taken care of for you. But what we need to do is just let go. This is the the most important message probably from the entire parsha, is learning to let go. Moshe tried. He had to let go. All right, excellent question. Thank you. Well, I, I think that this whole retirement thing is very dangerous. It's very dangerous for our... Emuna for our connection with Hashem. While it's important for someone to be responsible, I think one should be very, very cautious not to get to a state of arrogance, to feel like I've got things worked out financially, I'm financially, fiscally responsible, I am in control. We have to realize that Hashem has got it in control. And even someone who doesn't have a retirement fund, Hashem takes care of them too. Hashem takes care of them too. It's very important for us to always remember that yeah, it's important for us to do everything we can to succeed our way. You know, I asked my rabbi, is is it a lack is it a lack of trust in Hashem for a person to have a life insurance policy? So he said it has nothing to do with trust. He says it's a smart financial decision. Right? If someone, God forbid, passes away and he can leave over you know, a, a policy to his family, that's an excellent decision. It's a good business decision. He says it's not an issue of trust, especially when it's so common and so affordable for someone to get a good policy. It's silly for them not to, which is, which is what they're talking about. So, again, it's not, it, it, it's, wealth is a, uh, money in general, it does, it, money in general evokes a tremendous amount of emotion because people feel powerful with money. But the truth is, money comes and money goes really fast. There's a story mentioned in the Talmud of someone who learned this from his rabbi, that you can make all the money in the world, you can lose all the money in the world, in a second. In one second. You can lose it all, you can make it all. So one of the great Hasidic masters told his student this message. He said it to all of his students. And the student says, look, I'm such a wealthy man. There's no way in the world this can happen to me. So on his way home, he meets this priest. And for some reason, some Mishagas got into his head and he wanted to convert to Christianity. So he goes over to the priest and he says to the priest, I want to convert. The priest's like, are you playing games with me? I know you're Jewish. I know you're a rabbi. I know I know you. He says, No, 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 I really do. I, I want to convert. He says, Look, the only way you can convert is if you sign a document showing me how genuine you are that you're willing to give up all of your possessions. So he writes the document, and the priest looks at the document and he says, Okay, let's convert you. Suddenly he realizes, Oy vey, What did I do? He realizes, This is crazy. I just converted to Christian. Christ- what? He says, no, that, you know, and he lost everything already. See, he runs, he doesn't know what to do. He runs back to his Rebbe. He says, Rebbe, you know, I thought you were wrong, but it turns out you were right. I lost everything, everything, all of my possessions, everything. And I feel so terrible. I don't know what got into my mind. Me, a crazy thing to convert to Christianity. What? What was I talking about? He says, go back home. And you'll see that Hashem gave it all back to you in a second as well. He goes back home and he finds that the priest's home burnt down. And including in that house was that document. And he was able to get back his possessions immediately. So Hashem can make us very, very, very successful in a moment. Hashem can take it away as well in a moment. I believe it's a sin in the Torah to give them money. Any of those people on the street corners, because they make very, very bad decisions with money. They go and buy drugs. They go and buy alcohol. They buy, go and buy more beer, and get more inebriated. Get more irresponsible with the money you give them. Therefore, I highly recommend is that you go in your car with some uh, uh, some food. You take some some crackers. You take some stuff. You give them food. You're hungry? No problem. I'll give you food. But don't give them the same bad decision making ability that brought them there to begin with give them food give them food don't give them money they're not, they're going to they're they're going to continue to make bad decisions with that money